NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Boys. Yeah. Oh, the boys are here. They're nervous. They're calm. <laughs> Boysies. Get rarer. Why is this happening to me? Me. We're not getting Maccas and you can blame my son. <laughs> Get a few today, did you? It's great to contractually be obliged to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Is anyone going to listen to this or what? No, I actually don't know what, what happens in third grade. <laughs> you either get nude, get in the shower, or we're throwing all your cook gear in, bro. Jamie's like, no chance I'm going to follow you. 19th century Pax Britannica. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Pez, what a week of cricket we've just had. We'll be reviewing the fourth test in Ahmedabad, plus also the Modi Albanese takeover of day one. We're also going to review the entire Border Gavaskar series of watch India, India fairly and squarely won 2-1. What an unbelievable game we saw there in Christchurch, New Zealand and Sri Lanka. WPL, South Africa, West Indies, Maharajas ruptures his Achilles, celebrating wicket. Sean Marsh has retired. New South Wales still haven't won a game. That's all before we get into hashtag AskTG. See, Pez, it's been an amazing week. Uh, it's been an amazing week of cricket. Uh, but none of this would be possible without our dear patrons. Patreon.com forward slash great cricketer for all of the support in the world that means that we can keep doing this for as long as people still care about it. Um, do you want to say anything about Patreon and how much we love Patreon? I do, I do. And, uh, and I'd like it to be a bit longer than normal. What I'm about to say is the sort of thing you would normally leave to the end of the podcast, but I think it bears saying... Up the top, as we get into this show, um, this show brings to a conclusion um, what I didn't realise was the longest stretch of podcasting TGC has ever done. Uh, so we're, we're going to take a breather after this cast uh, for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and bring it back ahead of the ashes. Now, I just want to, I just want to note here goes up the top what we've done and couldn't have done without patrons. Truth, truthfully, uh, but everyone's been a part of this. So we've done 46 um, straight weeks of podcasting, you and I. Uh, and we started in May 2022. Um, we've had 50 episodes uh, that's covered the English summer, the T20 World Cup, the Women's World Cup, the Australian summer, uh, the Border Gavaskar Trophy on tour, um, Zimbabwe beating Australia. Uh, we've interviewed... <laughs> 20 players from seven different countries, 10 journalists from across the world, and Todd Greenberg, who fits into neither of those categories. Um, people might also remember special standalone interviews with Wes Agar uh, in Darwin, Herschel Gibbs, Elise Perry, Harsha Bogle, Adam Zampa, Faf Duplessis, Wazim Akram, and Shane Watson. Uh, we brought you Sidemouths from the MCG and Delhi, uh, <laughs> naturally, uh, where, where fans <laughs> spoke about 
giving Coley a rim job uh, and Shadab Khan bowling darts, um, quick 99k leggies. That's what you need. That's what you need. Uh, We've done a national live show tour in Australia playing in Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney alongside Ashton Turner, secret guest Marcus Stoinis, um, Cal Ferguson, Justin Langer, Ricky Ponting and Shane Watson. We've done a live show tour across India playing in Bangalore, Chennai, Hyderabad, Delhi, Gurgaon and Mumbai. Uh, And most importantly, in the last 46 weeks, we've been able to bring you important cultural phenomena like who the fuck just hit my car, the last suckle (laughs) and simple chalk, stay in your crease, mate. Um, Really proud reading that out with an aversion immediately to being earnest about it. And I, I won't go into the like the economics of how this isn't possible without Patreon. Suffice to say it isn't. Uh, it isn't possible to do those things. So if you are an enjoyer of the show, um, it is largely driven by the people who support us. And Patreon is, frankly, uh, the thing that allows us to do the dumb shit that I suspect people particularly like in the absence of much other dumb shit out there in the cricket world. So uh, just one call out before we take uh, a bit of a breather from the jewel in the crown that is our main podcast. And if you would like to sponsor it, you still can get in touch because we're talking to a couple of people, nothing sorted. Um, uh, if you want to keep listening to TGC, um, we're committed to our patrons every single week. So um, we're going to be casting all the way through uh, patron.com forward slash grade cricketer. Thanks to everyone though, for the last 45 weeks or so, it's been a hell of a journey. Uh, before we take a little a little breather from the cast and we're going to be doing some other interesting shit that might land later in the summer. Uh, so, so yeah, that's the patron call out this week, he goes. And, yeah, what a fucking crazy 45 or so weeks it's been uh, resulting in um, a couple of hundreds on a flat deck in India. um yeah so you obviously go there and you can sign up for five or ten that's us dollars a month so check what your country's doing with um submarines uh in terms of the economy uh what that what that money means to you uh anyway thank you to always uh to always to the people that have supported this here program um okay so the fourth test in Ahmedabad um started the other day and uh it started in one of the weirdest ways possible, which was basically a political rally, um, and it was uh, um, it, it was it was a couple of world leaders going around on a Batmobile, uh, Batmobile because there was cricket bats coming out of it. Pretty fucking clever stuff, if you ask me. Uh, waving to the fans, and let me tell you, the fans they just packed they packed into that stadium for the first hour on day one. Didn't didn't catch many other people for the other uh, sort of four four point nine days, but um, but that first day, people you know people love a first session, don't they? I mean, they love a warm. I love they love the action before the toss. They love the toss, and, and they love that first hour of test cricket because anything's possible. After that, it became apparent that nothing was really possible anymore. But um, that was the we- that was some of the weirdest scenes I've ever seen in a in a sports stadia. Um, and uh, and I've seen The Rock uh, introduce a game before. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, but but that but that image of of Albanese and Modi at the toss, and then Albanese fucking gripping Steve Smith arm in arm, linking arms, brothers in arms, singing "Advance Australia Fair" in India. What wonderful, joyous scenes! And really, in many ways, just top my head. It's sort of about you know friendship through cricket. 
um, which is also a foreign concept because I'd never made any friends in cricket and that was my decision. <laughs> that should have been the first sign that something was awry. <laughs> there are no friends through there are no friends in cricket. Uh, you've got I, I cricket actually, mates I, and you've got real mates. Yeah. Those are your two options. I actually remember playing a game against a guy that like played a fair few games for New South Wales. Didn't quite uh, cut it, I'd, I'd say. Uh, but um, he dyed his hair blonde, uh, and uh, we all knew that it was to conceal orange hair, which shouldn't be discriminated against. But um, sure. his hair was orange, and it was dyed blonde. And, and players in our team thought it thought it uh, hilarious to remind him about that. To which he responded after maybe the sixth. Um, uh, six that he'd hit in about 10 balls that he's not here to make friends, mate. Uh, so <laughs> I should have known then that something was awry when they said friendship through cricket. A little known fact about The Rock, actually, as you say that, is that he's actually um, named after a kookaburra 156 gram ball. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. where his, that's where his nickname came from. <laughs> Finally, I think he goes... He used to be called the Red King when he was growing up. <laughs> That's right. He was very nervous when the Sheffield Shield started introducing Duke's balls uh, because that nickname was taken by John Hastings. And... <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you, sh- you should have seen the legal stoush between the Rocks people and Dukes. Uh, it was uh, that, that, that was a hell of a set of letters. Now, um, um, Dwayne Johnson and, and John Hastings, two of the greats. You know, there's been some ugly conjecture about the way our friends, because we have friendship through cricket, like the the way our friends in India enjoy their cricket. You know, other journalists have put it. Uh, to their populace, like to their, their constituents, that that Indians don't enjoy cricket, they enjoy Indian cricket. I think that's harsh, uh, especially judging by our view count, uh, which survives on Indians only. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so, so I want to go the other way. I, I actually think that it's really clear from the Ahmedabad game that they're actually a hugely knowledgeable crowd, the Indian crowd. They literally came for where the most action was, which was before the game, and they knew what the fuck was coming up. They got the fuck out of there. You know, and I should know, though um, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I'd lean more towards an Albanese, your Albanese's than your Morrison's, for example, right. uh, yes. to put it mildly. But mm. what Albanese did with Smith was some Morrison shit. And if Morrison did that, would be criticizing the shit out of it. I thought it was cringe as fuck. Got a lot of good shit to say about Albanese. Otherwise, just uh, for the sake of balance, uh, that was that was no good. Like, I, I, I understand... Look, who among us, if we weren't PM and in that scenario, wouldn't just want to clutch a Steve Smith during an anthem? Like, you know what I mean? Someone, like, just someone like, like a Steve Smith. Someone like a Steve Smith and, <laughs> and someone like a Prime Minister <laughs> in a place like a Modi Stadium. Uh, but who among us wouldn't want to just grab that arm? I just, it was, um, it was, it, it, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit cringe for me, that sort of gear. But I suppose he yeah. was wrapped, he was wrapped up in the, uh, you know, in the vibe of the thing, which was very much about uh, clutching politics and sport together, mm-hmm. not though, not not as though you should actually bring politics into sport. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, true. a very I mean, uneasy bedfellow. It, it could have been much, much worse when you think about it. You know, just different leaders, at different times. I mean, that literally could have been the CEO of Alinta hugging Cubbins. Uh, you know, during the during the songs. So, you know, during the yeah. songs is what they call them. <laughs> what's what's the national song? Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it could have been much worse. It could have been much worse. Anyway, uh, Australia, uh, won the toss again, 
which was three out of four for the series and makes it about uh, 10 out of 11 or some shit. And that's really fascinating stuff. Anyway, Australia um, Australia won a toss. And uh, what did they score, Pez? They scored heaps. Um, yeah, they scored 480, 480, didn't they? In, in about, yeah, 480. Something like a 480. Mm. Um, 480 odd. And uh, it was runs everywhere. Well, actually, it actually wasn't runs everywhere. It was basically two guys batted really well. Um, they batted for just about two days. I think they declared with about, I want to say, half an hour to go on the end of, at the end of day two. So it was pretty slow going. It was sort of two and a half and over, maybe a little bit more than that throughout the innings. But um, it, was, it was a daddy for Kawaja, uh, just reward for a remarkable series and just another... Um, I feel like, you know, like when, when, when records are broken and then like in the press conferences afterwards at the end of each day's play, you know, a journalist might, uh, you know, mention to a player, just like, oh, are you aware that you've scored the most runs on a Tuesday afternoon in the history of test cricket since the beginning of 1993? Just that kind of stuff. And they're like, you know what, that's something I'll reflect on later in my career. You know, I'll sit down later in my career and I'll think about, you know, today's Tuesday and I scored heaps of runs on Tuesday. Um, but like, I think something like, a, um, uh, you know, scoring 100 in India is very present in the player's mind of like that's a that's a real achievement and they'd be very aware of that in that moment and i say that <clears throat> in the context of like how hard it is to play cricket in india for for the australian team and also many other countries i mean they haven't barely fucking lost a game in 10 years but when you when you break down like obviously batting in england for australians is hard as well because of the moving ball and we don't play swing very well but um but there's still every hun- every ashes series there's fucking there's heaps of hundreds heaps of guys have scored hundreds against in- against england but like there's actually very few guys that have that have scored hundreds in test cricket in india like there's actually very especially in the last 10 years i think there's four or five now it'd be maxwell steve smith uh, and someone else has got one in the in in the last ten years. Oh, Michael Clark, um, and and Smith's got like four of them, and then and now it's Usman and Green, obviously. But um, I wouldn't say it's typical Indian wickets. But I just want to highlight that I think Usman, I haven't gone so close in other games, and he scored fifties, and he's done it in much tougher conditions to get hundred and eighty, or is that what he got one hundred and eighty in the first innings here? Must have been so satisfying, um, like just reward for an amazing comeback into Test cricket since Travis Head got COVID. Um, it's like 600 since then. I'm getting, I'm getting all these stats wrong, but you know, it's a, a general theme. Um, uh, it's just reward for a tremendous player that's now got 14 test hundreds. Amazing. Good for him. Everyone's happy for him, right? Oh, yeah. And, and by the same token, like Coley's 100 was just on a flatty, so it doesn't count. Uh, but, you know, Usman's um, just you know, a really big feather in the cap. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, you know what, what I find interesting about that is I, I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, a hundred in India is, uh, is worth double, you know, it's like, it's like doing four unit maths <laughs> in, in year 12 and, and getting mm-hmm. like 30 and it's like, no, that's worth, that's, that's worth a hundred. Uh, and I thought a lot of their thirties this time around was like that. So I don't know what, that, that's why I did general maths, but like, yeah, it was, <laughs> which is a waste of time to be honest, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I sorry. I'm now thinking about the numbers of our business as well, and how desperately need an accountant. But like, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it, look, this this test was a bit fill your boots, <laughs> to be honest. Like, uh, but it's funny how you call it. Yeah, hundred in India because like in because we've got goldfish TikTok memory brains. Uh, in time, it will, all the hundreds in India will just be the same. They'll all be on minefields, and it was just a hundred in India, which are really hard to get. Uh, this mm. this this deck was twenty two wickets and like eight thousand runs being scored. Uh, so right now we can be like, well, you know, it's, <laughs> wouldn't say it was an amazing test of skill, but um, but in time it will just be a hundred in India, which is great. 
uh, I suppose I'm taking away from it a little bit, but I'm speaking more about how flat it was, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. Um, but but yeah, and uh, you know, it's a shame that that uh, the bin lid didn't get those extra 10 runs as well so he could have his 100 in India because uh, all of these will mm. just be conversations that come up in four years' time where it, it will, will be pouring over the like the paucity of runs of guys like Labuschagne who, who's the fourth leading run scorer I think in this series, uh, Australia's second leading run scorer after Kawaja and, uh, and it will still just be like, only 150 there though, you know? Only one fifty, mm. <laughs> you know, like mm. or, or like you mm. know, Australia, Australia won in two thousand and four. Maybe more relevant, uh, little little remembered that like one or two of those tracks were extremely in Australia's favour due to some political stuff that was going on at the time. But when it's all said and done, it's like nah, the boys know how to do it in India. You know, they know how to get it done. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I mean I've said this before, but you watch you watch highlights of like the the game where they actually win the actually win the series and. Um, they've got like six slips and a gully to start the game. It's like okay, so so you could actually allow to bowl pace pace on that wicket, could you? So it seems like Australia yeah. might have had some uh, a little bit of uh, 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 equal equality there, I suppose. Anyway, mm. um, so but Cameron Green also scores his first Test match hundred. I mean that made us feel really good. It's, there's there's obviously it's you know it's 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 in cricket, including this in this game itself. It's like the next game is actually more important. Now that actually did become apparent as soon as Sri Lanka couldn't win their first game in, in Christchurch. Um, so then Australia Australia and India are now playing in the World Test Championship final in a couple of months' time. And it's like, okay, that game actually is more important. But like with Cameron Green, you know, him doing stuff now like bodes well for the future, like somehow, even though he's just done something well now and that's good. Like he probably, in many ways, when he came to the crease and that partnership put on Quaja actually saves the game for Australia because I think they were... F- Oh, I'm going to get it this wrong again. They were five for the four for not many, four for not that many, four for one fifty, one seventy, or something like that. And then they put on about two hundred, um, and so <laughs> and so that sort of saves the game. So in the time that he came in was actually rather important. But that aside, in this drawn game on a flat one, um, this result bodes well for the future of Australian cricket because he's done something now, and that means he will do something good for us in the future. And I hope that means good things. <laughs> when he plays for Mumbai next month. <laughs> yeah, I think that the, you know, the, the, the 100 was a, like as it was with Coley in a different way, I think Shastri described that as a gorilla on his back. Uh, I could, I could see, um, I could see that being a confected scenario with Cam Green as well. Oh, how can it be that good <laughs> if he doesn't, if he doesn't sort of autistically hit three figures at some point? Uh, so, I thought you meant a gorilla on his back. I can actually kind of see that. Those like a, a silver back and Cam Green wrestling at it. I mean, his back is so big; it may as well be, you know, carrying I'd have one. A look at like, that. You know, I'd have yeah, a look I have that. a massive look at that. Uh, we got something premiering. <laughs> we got something premiering on that front soon too. Mm. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait for that. But yeah, uh, it was. Uh, I was personally, and I'm sure this will mean a lot to Cam Green. But I was personally relieved that he got that hundred as well. Uh, so that I, in the future, didn't have to look through various news outlets questioning when he's going to get one and feeling little mm. tinges of anxiety before getting on with my life and the other challenges and tribulations that I have. <laughs> uh, so it, that that was a really <laughs> important thing. Uh, no, he, it was just great to watch him at the crease for a long time. <clears throat> I just thought it was great mm. to see him crunch drives and mm. and pull off the front and back dog. Uh, mm. It was it was really good. It was it was it was mm. good gear. The future of Australia. Big man in a baggy green lid. It's a big stride. 
the future of Australia. He's a prototype lab designed wet dream. The future of Australia. It is a big stride. He's got big reach. He is a very powerful, strong athlete. The future of Australia. And it's the size of it too. Cam Green, Baggy Green, and we know how big it is. The future of Australia. The future of Australia. Did it make you feel things in your heart or your loins? The future of Australia. The future of Australia. This boy's going to be the fucking best player ever. Also, he's two metres tall. Tall, tall, tall. Tall, tall, tall. Also, he's two metres tall. Tall, tall, tall. Also, he's two metres tall. Are you watching a big man that's two metres tall down the deck to his first ever Test 100? It's perfection. Tall, 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 tall. The future of Australia has been extremely pleasing. Because he's got plenty in terms of gear. He's got plenty of gear. Extremely pleasing. He can go big. The size of two. It's perfection. A big man that's two metres tall has been extremely pleasing. He's got plenty of gear. Extremely pleasing. It's perfection. Also, he's two metres tall. I don't, I don't see how he doesn't captain the national side for ten years with size fourteen feet. He could me get out of here. It's, it's sort of hard to talk about this game without talking about the entire series, mainly because this game was, broadly speaking, absolute dross. Although it sort of ended up in dross in the last two days, given that there were, no result was really feasible for either side. But um, So we'll just talk about one more thing, I think. Um, <clears throat> uh, Coley uh, scored his 28th Test 100. Apparently, he was battling some fever. Um, maybe a bit of, bit of Saturday night fever. I'm not really sure what that fever was exactly, but... Um, but uh, it's his 28th Test 100. I think it was chanceless. Um, I think he's looked good throughout the entire series. Um, but uh, it was a somewhat muted celebration for a guy who hasn't scored a Test 100 in four years. I think that just goes to show how flat the deck was. He thought, well, this one barely counts. This one barely <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> when I saw him celebrate... He's trying to upset people now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I was confused because when I saw him celebrate, you're totally right. It was a muted celebration. I thought it's either, it's either a flat deck or he used to play for Australia. Uh, and he just doesn't want to upset the fa- he doesn't want to upset the away fans. You know what I mean? He ran away to the away fans. He ran away, just his hands up. You know. <laughs> Indian fans go, just celebrate. It's fine. You've scored a hundred. You know, even the Australian fans are like, no, nah, just I, I had a good no, time no, in no. Australia. Yeah, too much respect. Too much yeah, respect. Great right. memories. You'll never walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? He must have played for Australia. Maybe came through the academy or something like that. Or, or, or lots of friends there. You know what I mean? I didn't well, realize he did, did spend a lot of time in Perth, didn't he? He, he yeah. spent a lot of time in Perth yeah. growing up. He got he some did, friends over yeah. there still. A Shout, of out to Shout out to Shrey. Shout out to Shrey. Stein. Yeah, it's good. Mm. Um, I just just one more thing as well. In this game, Nathan Lyon went past the most wickets taken by an overseas bowler in India. Went uh, go past Underwood. There was just like um, there was a great list there. Actually, it was like. It was Underwood, I think it was Benno was second. Mm, Benno had like mm. 50 wickets in eight games, 52 wickets in eight games. Then it was Courtney Walsh who had like similar numbers of seven games, uh, averaging 18 in India. Fucking hell. He must have been. He must have been really out to, to rag it, Courtney Walsh. They must have because they're playing the same wickets all the time. They, they, these these pitches aren't. They they just like this all the time. So, yeah. oh um, mate, it just, it just supports my um, unpopular theory that um, Walsh wasn't that good, and he actually he must have been so slow. He was playing spin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> unpopular opinions. Um, 
yeah. <laughs> um, but it is um, <clears throat> it is remarkable uh, how well he bowled. Even in this game, you know, he, he bowled he bowled dry for periods of time. I don't say he got a lot of support from from the deck in this game, but um, it's a great achievement for him. Uh, it's like 54, 55 wickets. I also saw this morning that he has got the most wickets in India Australia series all overall. He's just got a couple more than Ashwin, who to be fair to Ashwin, I think has a slightly better average and has played a couple less games, but um. This is uh this was this was as good as I've ever seen him bowl in this series. I suppose we're tipping into review of series stuff, but again, I, I just think like in a game where no one really had anything much, um, the fact that Lyon did go past that record for most wickets in India, given that he is unlikely to tour India again, I think he'd be in his late thirties um, by the time Australia next go there. <clears throat> um, it's uh it's good. It's a good for him. Good for the goat. Yeah, you know, it's a good stat when you're actually seeing the names of people that aren't modern day players that are literally just on a drip feed of content for TV channels. You know, like I feel Mm. like every, every, like so so many uh, like quantitative style stats or like stats that are based in quantity Mm. are just hogged by modern day players that just play all the time. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that with Nathan Lyon because, you know, the the gradual erosion of test cricket playing nations means that he does play against India a lot. But when you see other names like, yeah, Underwood, and then you see Richie Benno pop up in a stat, then you're like, okay, Mm. this is actually – whatever he's – whatever Nathan Lyon has done, it it must have been really good because other modern greats haven't been able to overtake whatever's in there. So – and yeah. I agree. I agree with you. Uh, this does tip into the review, which we'll do in a second. But um, it, it's the best I've seen him bowl. I think, particularly coming back from Nagpur. Uh, so uh, I was really pleased with him. I mean, he's been around for such a long time, but he he still has gone up in my estimations. There, I thought he led the line really well and, and bowled in many different ways. You know, he was able to uh, knock them over late on in a game. He was able to hold uh, hold it tight. He was able to attack, defend. Uh, so yeah, it was. Um, mm. I was I was really pleased for him. Okay, Pez, let us review the entire Border Gavaskar series for season twenty twenty three. That's how I talk about years. I talk about them in seasons. Um, India win the series two one. Obviously, the draw there in the fourth test in Ahmedabad. Um, but they uh, they they won fair and square in Delhi. They won fair and square in uh, where was the first game? Nagpur. Uh, and uh, and then obviously then Australia got a result in indoor, but um, <clears throat> it's very difficult to um, to really escape any part of the conversation with this entire series. And unfortunately, this is going to upset a lot of people. Um, but you know that's just the way the internet works. Is it um, over the course of the series, mate? I I I I I find it hard to escape the discussion of any point about. F- Really, four pretty ordinary pitches um, that we got to see. I mean, obviously, the the, the third pitch was um, somewhere near a disgrace. Um, the fourth pitch was, um, I suppose, in the end, given that you've seen 22 wickets fall over the course of five days, it's um, it's not a great advert for the game because people like advertising to last five days, generally speaking, anyway. And there's obviously the counterpoints of like, yeah, well, what about one, one time your pitch did this? Or what about that South Africa game? Or what about when the ball swings too much or the ball bounces too much? Or I understand all these things. But over the course of the series, um, I, I personally feel just a little, just a little hint of um, being like underwhelmed by the quality of the cricket that we've seen because so much of the conversation is around uh, the pitch just nullifies so many of the skills of these guys. And so I don't really see the best. I don't see the best of Rohit Sharma. I don't see the best of Virat Kohli, Steve Smith, um, 
I don't know, I don't see the best of Umesh Yadav or Shami or, or Mitchell Stark or Cummins when he plays. You know, like there's just, there's so many guys that are nullified. And essentially, like, and, and fair reward, India win the series fair and square. There's no complaints about that. There's a reason why there's, there's talk of pitches every time a touring team goes over to India and they prepare these absolute shit tips. I mean, there's, I mean it's just, it's either the teams that constantly go over there uh, and, and are concerned about it are wrong or um, there's absolutely zero conversation to be had about the decks at all. Now, that is just purely ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's plain and obvious to say that these pitches are, are silly. They're silly, and they nullify the skills of so many guys. So whilst it has been an interesting series, and there's been highs and lows for both sides, there's also been a political rally on day one of the fourth test. That was something interesting. Um, apart from <laughs> or within the first two minutes of this, um, it's hard to escape reflecting on the series with being like, oh, I just feel a little shortchanged because I don't get to see all the guys perform well, you know? <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, firstly, cry, cry more. Uh, Good. I, th- I think I think that's the cry, first response. Cry me more, right? Why, why cry, cry me a river? Um, not to be confused yeah. with the, the cry me a river or the cry Justin Tim, or the Justin Timberlake song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I suppose I'm. Not sure. I just think what you. I'm not sure anymore, mate, because I've got someone pointing a gun at me uh, right here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know. Look, I agree, I agree with you, firstly, and I think that's clear. Like, I, I agree with that analysis. I note that um, Gideon Haig, who I just have, like, oh, I think he's the best cricket writer in the world, and. Um, He's one of these national treasure. He's one of the best writers in Australia, and I think he has an he has an unimpeachable record of um, fairness in the way he covers cricket. That you just cannot, uh, you could you could never accuse Gideon Haig of being biased towards Australia uh, in any of his <laughs> writing, yeah. uh, because it, it speaks to his, um, uh, you know, his his balance and distance as a journalist and a writer, but. Um, He's he's been withering in his criticism today uh, in the Australian, which is behind a paywall. To be fair, uh, of of these pitches, he he called them fixed, uh, which is a loaded term. Um, but I, I think he means that they have been fixed by the BCCI to um, you know ensure the maximal advantage was obtained by the home team. Um, the reason why I'm unsure about talking about it is I just I'm not sure I would start with pitches when it comes to the entire series, although it you know it is such a it's such a massive part of it. I think I think in time with distance, we'll probably go well. <laughs> that's what you get here. That's what you get in India. That's that's the that's the sporting challenge of playing in India in the current context. Mm-hmm. I do think it was extreme. It was it was laid on pretty thick to the extreme this time around. Uh, I would start by saying, against that backdrop, the series belonged to Ashwin and Jadeja, uh, who got who got it done uh, in the first two tests. They got it done for India. They broke the back of the Australians before the Australians could rally, uh, which they did. You know, ahead of this tour, I think both you and I, um, and not to be confused with you, am I, were. Mm concerned about a 4-0 drubbing uh, with all of these things factored in and not just a 4-0 drubbing but 4-0 fuck off drubbing yeah, uh, yeah. and 
So it was a <laughs> successful failure for Australia to finish 2-1 against that backdrop. And mm. uh, but, but, the, but the damage was done by Ashwin and Judeja, whose skill in those first two tests and just the impossibility of playing those guys with Australia's poor, meagre preparation, I think tells the ultimate story. I just think with a bit of distance in time, it'll just be Australia didn't prepare very well and Ashwin and Jadeja licked their chops and and mopped them up, which is a hell of a mixed metaphor, uh, which is another fact of this series <laughs> as well, judging by the commentary. They licked their chops and mopped them up. And <laughs> I, I, I reflect on the series with a sense of regret that uh, due to the economics and macro factors in cricket, mm. uh, that Australia, the Australian men's team didn't approach the series with the kind of meticulousness that any win would require. You know, to win in those circumstances, knowing full well that those kind of wickets would be produced. We knew that ahead of time. They didn't give themselves a chance, I think. And, and I think it actually sells the skill of the Australian men's team short because I think what they did with what they had was excellent. But at the end of the day, it's sport. And, in, you know, in time, it'll just be another 2-1 loss to Australia, the fourth in a row against India. Mm. And cry me amore will make, will make sense in that time. <laughs> the, the, the answer to yeah. losing 2-1 against India uh, is, is, is not let's complain about the wickets that we get. I think it's a part of it, but any future team is going to have to, if they want to win, accept that that's what you're going to get. It's the final, it's final boss shit in sport, and you have to have an answer to that. I think the way cricket's going is going to make that answer really difficult. Like unless Australia starts putting blokes in the Ranji Trophy playing for Tamil Nadu, uh, I don't know what kind of deck they have there. But that'll be really interesting to see if they start producing rag as if Pekofsky's playing for Tamil Nadu, which I've advertised for, uh, <laughs> and, and advocated for for a long time. That's the, first, that's the opening thing I'll say. I'll say it's Ashwin and Jadeja uh, and it's preparation. They're the two major things to come out of this series for me. I think that we've maintained ever since the first test match, like whilst the wickets have been what they have been, we've maintained that like it's all well and good, but like, you're just going to have to overcome that at some point. Someone at some time is going to have to overcome that. Now, I think you rightly point out that the, the damage was done in the first two test matches by Ashwin and Jadeja. Um, but for me, the difference in the two sides uh, and the part of the reason, well, actually the main reason why I think India would deserve to win because India had the better players throughout the series. Now, like that, I don't think that could be more true of certainly Aksar Patel, who I think we, predict, we predicted and were certainly terrified of for months leading into this, Aksar Patel was just going to absolutely fucking dominate this. I mean, I think his, rep, his record in India was about six with the ball heading into this series. Um, turns out he's actually Bradman um, with the bat. He's actually done a reverse. He's actually, he's actually done Steve Smith. He's done a Steve Smith. Um, he's actually going to be a batter um, in the future. I mean, he, he averages nearly 100 for the series. <laughs> he gets out for 79, you know, 79 or 80 in the in the fourth test match there. So he averages whatever he averages. But it was um, he is a difference batting an eight. Australia had a long tail. Um, basically with uh, with Kerry in there at seven and then into the bowlers from eight to 11. But our bowlers are nowhere near the skill level of the uh, with the bat as what the Indian players are. And like having Ashwin, at, I think Ashwin batted the nine at one game. I mean, he's, the guy's got four or five test hundreds, isn't he? So 
Um, but Axar Patel just scoring runs at critical moments. And, you know, Australia, like, there's one thing I like about when Australia go to India. At least we give them a game. You mm. know, we, we give them a game there. And, like, I've got to say, the same thing in reverse. Like, India always give us a game when it's in Australia to the point where they've actually won the last two series here. <laughs> um, and now four in a row. So it's actually quite, it's quite a good game. It's actually a bit too good of a game, if I'm honest. <laughs> they've but, given um, us losses. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're taking L's left, right, center, um, especially on this channel in the comments. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, man, like uh, Axar Patel has just had a an incredible series. And sorry, to my point, um, Australia had their chances, had their moments, obviously in Delhi uh, with scoring 280, 270 or something. And I've obviously got all these scores right in front of me. So um, And Australia having them 5 for 150, 5 for 130 or something like that. Then Axel Patel comes in and scores another 70, mm. 7 for 130. Um, and uh, Axel Patel comes in and plays maybe the innings of the series. I know Rohit Sharma scores 120 early on and obviously Kawaja and, and Green and, and Coley score hundreds. Obviously Coley with his 28th test 100 that that. that 186 and I'm in the bad, but, um, but, uh, you know, Axar Patel basically wins the series and books India's place in the World Test Championship final with that, with that score in Delhi. And, uh, um, what a fucking player he is. I mean, he's, he's, he's just, he's, he's almost like just buying chop out overs in test matches, even though his record's incredible. Yeah. Barely, barely gives you anything, uh, barely gives you anything to score off with the ball and then just, <laughs> just scores these yeah. incredible runs and averages a fucking hundred for the series. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, it's like uh, it's it's like India has a ridiculous bench strength. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Ashwin Jadeja needs yeah. a rest. Bring on uh, Axar Patel, who'll also uh, be the third highest run scorer in the series with the bat. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Like, I've noticed already that some of the reflections on the series in Australia has been that one hour of madness costs Aussies the series. Uh, I, I take issue with that. Like, I, I disagree with that. And I don't think that, uh, like, the the idea that, like, Australia collapsing took place over some narrow time period somehow diminishes it, like, and it makes whatever happened count for less. I, I also think that that read diminishes India's skill too much. Uh, mm. the, the, part of that collapse was born from was brought about from the pressure that Ashwin and Jadeja created. You know, like inferior oppositions make mistakes when the op- when the people they're facing are too good. You know, like that that the collapse was a result of India's skill. I also think that that collapse and the decision, and I believe that 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 decision to sweep, though the Aussies claim otherwise, it appears to me to be a collective call. Uh, they've run away from that a lot. It just doesn't make sense to me that all of a sudden seven or eight of them start brooming when they never did. And the explanation is that we coincidentally went away from our methods to do this one particular thing that continued to fail. It just doesn't make sense to me and and bears more exploration, I think. Uh, But I'll just sit on YouTube instead. Uh, Nevertheless, like (laughs) I, I, I just think that the fact that the Aussies chose to broom during that time thus bringing on the Ian Healy dustbin thing as well. But the fact that they chose to broom during that time, that too was a result of under-preparation. You know, if the Aussies are out of play, like, so for example, the way they're acclimatised to the pitches now and in and Indian cricket now, I think would lead them to choose a different path, This, you know, had they been presented with the same situation. Does that make sense? So like the, the fact they chose to broom was because they felt a paucity of options otherwise 
given mm. the preparation and adaptation that they had at that time. The only way they felt they could score runs was to broom quickly, to get it done, because as they were saying at the time, which you'll note they've stopped saying now, uh, they had, you know, one, you had one with your name on it. Mm. If you have 10 days in India ahead of a series, you are going to think there is one with your name on it. That's the truth. But if you spend a little bit longer and you prepare for it with the respect that it deserves, facing two of the masters of the game, you probably stop thinking there's one with your name on it because, as Ravi Shastri has been saying, you start trusting your defence. So I do think the answer to Australia's failures in the first two tests were, one, brought about by India's skill, but two, it was a failure of their own making by disrespecting what it takes to actually win there. Uh, and that's the regret that comes into it. That was That's a controllable from Australia's end. But is it if you've got big old IPL contracts and a, and a couple of big bash mm. um, TV rights deals to secure with blokes hitting tons in Coffs Harbour. Mate, it's, it's very fascinating you say about the, talk about the preparation because obviously the, the next series, next te- test series for Australia is the Ashes. And you just look at the what guys are doing in preparation for that series. I mean, it might go to a bigger question of what's more important. It could be a question about the window that these test matches fall into or whatever. I'm not really sure, but like, because I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that this series, this test series now, is somewhat rivaling the Ashes, uh, if we're definitely in finances in terms, but just in interest, in skill level, in what is soon becoming the pinnacle of the game. I still think the Ashes tilts that just because of the history of it, even though there's now really good and rich history in this series. But um, I'm just looking like what, what guys are doing in preparation for the Ashes. Guys are not playing in the IPL in preparation for the England Test Summer. Um, there are a number of Australian players who, have, who will be in and around the squad. I'm talking about Cameron Bancroft, Marcus Harris, these kind of guys. Guys like them, not them, but guys like them. Um, they're playing for Durham and Gloucestershire. Um, Steve Smith obviously has a run with, I think it's Sussex. Is he, has he got a couple of games? Was, was it Sussex? Um, it, and it's another, another county side. Um, there, are, there are guys who have gone over there for, for years um, and, and played English summers there too. But I'm talking specifically for this series coming up. Guys are taking time away from white ball cricket, even though there's a 50 over World Cup later in the year um guys are playing for the counties um before the ashes or they're going to be in england trying to score bulk runs to be knocking on the door so if someone like dave warner falls out of favor with the selectors then they're already over there i'm thinking about cam bancroft and marcus harris specifically there to replace warner so those guys might not be picked in the squad for instance because they're already going to be over there because if they're picked in the squads if they're picked in the test squad they won't be available to play for the counties so i think the australian selectors will pick guys um who, who don't have a county contract and will be taken over there. But then I don't think like the reserve batter will win this. Like if Renshaw is a reserve batter, as an example, but um, Cam Bancroft's just scored 400s for Durham in a week and Warner's out of favour, I think Bancroft come, is, gonna, is more likely to come in. Anyway, my point being, the guys are going over there and they're preparing themselves for the Ashes, you know? And we don't have that. We're going, we're going over to India 10 days before and we're trying to scarify wickets. We're trying to pick guys that look a bit like Asher in the nets. It's all very... Um, cut and paste job isn't it it's all it's all it's shortcut city it's shortcut city anyway yeah, and I, like i um, think that's the disappointment of it mate to be honest like this series will be in the rearview mirror very quickly you know the next one will come up obviously it's the ashes which is pretty big but then it'll be a world cup then it'll be where are we at vis-a-vis tv rights i mean mate like mm. uh you know i know from a reliable source uh that there are moves afoot in terms of the the exploration at least of and this is this has been reported anyway but specifically you know there are moves afoot in terms of private equity in cricket and mm. uh and you know some that i i think the entire economy of the game is ripe for major disruption soon and 
all of those things are not a result of a a great sporting challenge and test series between Australia and India. It's because of the business of cricket that's available uh, in the white ball game, you know, and through domestic franchise cricket and players wondering where their central administration sits within all of that, you know, and whether they're getting value for it. And all of those factors I think are going to be the conversation in cricket over the next couple of years. The Australia-India test series is like this – it's this sporting challenge that somehow sits as as a peri- in the periphery. Let's do it every four or five years. It's the hardest thing you can play in cricket, but it doesn't mm. drive the economy of the game in any way. I think you know it's something to appease the purists. It seems, and to that end, it's a um, you know, it's a it, it was great to see Coley score a hundred in this last game. I, I hopefully he's still around the next time Australia comes out. Mm. Uh, to, to India, but I think he's been holding Test cricket up in India for a long time, and he should be thanked and applauded for that. I don't know where it's going, uh, where it's going from here, but I, I really, uh, and I think that explains Australia's under preparation as well. You know, it's like, well, what does this mean for the business of cricket? It, mm. it doesn't mean much, I think. And even our own ex- experience of covering this series has really been met by, with a lot of responses, at least in commercial terms around like, we don't really do business around test cricket, you know, business is done elsewhere. And I think that explains Australia's lack of preparation. And I think it's a point of sadness because this is a really good Australian team. They have come out of sandpaper. Um, they have grown, they have matured. They are all, so many of those players are at their peak. They will not be back. This was their chance. And I think the, the lack of preparation and the way cricket's going really does account for the fact that they did not bring to that series what they needed to in order to win. I think as well, mate, uh, we, we've spoken uh, at length about so very various things uh, pertaining to this, but obviously the Indian batters have had quite a drop-off over the last few years, particularly playing at home. I'm not sure what the correlation with that is, but there's one guy in particular, I think, who's had... Probably the greatest series of his life. And by that, I mean Shubman Gill, who we haven't even spoken about yet, who obviously scored 100 as well. He scored his second Test 100, his first one against Australia after scoring 130, I think, against um, Bangladesh. Um, and uh, and he has just had one of the series of his life. Um, he's avoided he's avoided two of the tougher wickets early on, uh, and he let Kale Rahul take the take the heat on those. He obviously Very came smart. in for the indoor the indoor test match, uh, which was uh, just, I don't think anyone could be blamed for anything that happened there. Um, and uh, and then scores 100 against Australia on a flat one. And he is just, I mean, he is just absolutely fucking flying at the moment. He's got hundreds, you know, for the, for the white ball set up, both in T20 and in ODI. And he's now got red ball hundreds as well, bulk hundreds, bulk, he's got two. Um, but uh, but is this this is the future? You know, as a twenty three year old, it's good looking. It's it's definitely the future. I mean, like it's I just it, I it, it seems very very hard for um someone like a KRL to get get, get back into the side. Certainly opening the batting, um it would seem. But uh, I think I think he's probably had his go. But uh but Shub McGill is um it's he, he's played a master stroke here. He's played a master stroke. Just come in for the flat one, score a hundred. Uh, great series. Totally. And, you know, like, I, I do wonder whether part of the, uh, let's use Gideon's term, like the, the fixing of wickets was a, an acknowledgement from the BCCI that like their sort of their ageing top six gill aside uh, mm. w- were vulnerable, you know, that they needed to um, to build mm. on that strength of spin and batting depth. And that's because like in praise of Indian cricket, like they, are, they really have so many young guys who are so ready to go. It, it seems really difficult to get into that top six at the Indian side at the moment uh, for reasons I could only speculate on. But 
Gill is a great example. Like you bring him in, yeah, he got he got a, he got a good deck this time around, but he didn't miss out. Like he, he filled his boots straight away, and you could see the class there. Like he should be a fixture in that side. And there's a couple of other younger guys coming through. Like I, I'm looking forward to seeing those younger guys get a gig in the next couple of years because. It's just well, it's going to be great and novel to see some different shapes from batters and shit like that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but you know they have it. They they've got that production line humming now, and I think Gil will be front and center of that. It, you know, it it was. I thought it was interesting that like, you know, Kawaja and Coley, who are at the closer to the end and the beginning of their careers, the statesmen, they scored tons, and then also Gil and Green scored hundreds as well, who are really mm. going to uh, drive that rivalry for the next ten years probably. Uh, so I, I thought that was. Um, you know, symmetrical, which uh, helps me in my Rubik's cube challenges. <laughs> um, any, I, I think, uh, I think KS Barrett had a, an interesting series as well. I, I didn't rate, I didn't rate the gloves. If I'm honest, the glove, the gloves weren't awful, but I just think they were probably a little bit below par. Um, obviously, the side of missing Rishab, um, for reasons previously spoken about on the show, but. Uh, but I think he, his, his batting was okay. I know he's been he's been the reserve keeper for a little while. Ishan Kishan was there as a backup keeper this time around. That would be interesting if we had a look at that. But um, I think he's going okay. I think Shreyas Iyer is an interesting one. He's done. He's had a really good start to his Red Bull career, and he he almost took the game away from Australia in that third Test match in indoor. Uh, if it wasn't for an excellent Kawaja catch, but um, which sort of turned the game. Then obviously Pajara got out shortly after that with a great catch from Steve Smith. But um. You're right, man. There's 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 a few guys been knocking on the door. Now a lot of Indian fans are just like, let's get the next generation through. Now it's like it's probably a little bit early for that. I think guys like, I mean, Pajara wasn't being wasn't that long ago being dropped with um, uh, Rahane. You know, after going through a bit of a, a lead run, Coley no runs for four years, no hundreds for four years. You know, um, and K. Rahul struggling as well. So it's, it's just interesting. But uh, I think I think Shreyas Eyes had a decent series. Obviously, came in uh, halfway through the series. Well, he missed the first Test match, didn't he? Um, but uh, I think there's, there's there's something there. The keeper, I know he won't be the keeper forever. The the the, the side's definitely missing Richard. But um, but uh, I I don't know. I, I just can't. I had I find it hard to escape. Just like ah, oh, Axar tells a difference, and he's really good batter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've said this before, but at our live show in Sydney, Shane Watson took a nonce question from somebody who literally wanted yeah. his prediction on the series, and uh, he he got it right. So this was this was about a month out from the Border Gavaska trophy starting. And he, he just said, look, I, I just think they're they're going to have a little bit more with the bat against our bowlers and a little bit more with the ball against our batters, you know, than, than we have in reverse. And that's actually how it's panned out, really. It was the, the difference was a little bit of mastery and exploitation of the, of the decks from Jadeja and Ashwin against our guys who were still feeling their way in. And it was Rohit's 120. Uh, against mm. our bowlers, we just couldn't conjure something like that against theirs early on before the series settled down, uh, and and before we found our feet. And uh, you know, so and it is it is, um, I suppose, in praise of some of the older heads there because those those guys are are more experienced, particularly Rohit. So yeah, uh, like I think it's really fair to say, and you've, you've said it many times up top. Not that this will be the response in the comments, but uh, India have India a good value for a 2-1 win in these circumstances ahead of our guys. It just it just is a little bit frustrating that I felt like we brought a lot of skill and a lot of um, willingness but didn't match it with the preparation that it deserved uh, because you could see that our guys improve as the series went on. I just wish mm. that they'd expedited that improvement to the first or the second test. And I think we might have, may have seen a better chance of winning. Maybe not even do it, like doing it. I mean, I, I still even feel like in this test in Emdabad, you could still see that India had some 
ascendancy in both disciplines on that flat deck. So just goes to show how hard it is to win here and, and how difficult the path seems to with with the way cricket is going to create the kind of team you need to uh, to to beat India. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get move, we move on to the Oval, where the uh, World Test Championship final will start about seven days before the first Ashes Test match. So that will be interesting in itself. Uh, and um, let's go with predictions. I think Australia will win the toss and they'll bowl first. Um, and then India will score 270 and then Australia will, will score 340 in reply. Um, and then India will be all out 170 and Australia will chase 100 in the fourth inning, six down and Australia will win inside four and a half days. Um, they'll celebrate for a day. They'll probably go out in London somewhere. They might do the, the London Eye. Uh, they might do Westminster Bridge. Um, they could do some Wax Museum <laughs> stuff. I'm not really sure. They'll have a good time though. And then for the first Ashes Test match, Australia will um, win the toss again and they'll, and they'll bat. <laughs> Uh, I think more predictions should be like that. I'm sick of these like predictions that speak in vague generalities, you know, like let's, let's, let's get it down to the nth degree, you know, like I think Cummins will forget his blazer. He'll have to wear Steve Smith's one, but luckily Steve Smith's blazer has got long arms. And so it won't actually seem that available. Um, Hey, I just want to note, speaking of Steve Smith, I haven't heard a journalist pick up on this, but um and I think this is relevant to, to the BGT and the Oval, etc. But <clears throat> a couple of days ago, after Steve Smith's dismissal in uh, Ahmedabad for 38, I think, off like a thousand balls. Yeah. Mark War and Brad Haddon, as they as they uh, in Australia, they flick back to the Fox commentary uh, in in between innings, and or maybe at the end of the day, um, Mark War made a really um, specific comment that following Steve Smith's dismissal, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if he retired overnight, um, which, uh, and, ju- and just gave it up, um, which Brad Haddon said, I'm with you, Junior. Now, uh, and Ooh. I say this out of full um, respect for Mark Waugh, like he's, he's a great, he's a great figure of fun, but he has an essential authenticity and he also has an essential sense of judgment as well. Um, we know Steve Smith's spoken about early retirement uh, before. I'm not sure if it's motivated by wanting something out of Cricket Australia or whether he's such an enigma that we don't really quite understand his relationship to the game. But it really struck me as um, Mark Waugh traversing an area that he does not normally traverse. Mark Waugh is not prone to idle speculation about Mm. things like this, whatever you want to say about him. I really... I think he has a very good sense of where to tread and where not to tread. And for Mark Ward to say, I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Smith retires overnight. And for Brad Haddon to say, I'm with you, Junior. Um, I just made me, it just pricked my ears a little bit um, and made me wonder whether, you know, that is not the sort of thing Mark Ward would say without a sense of what might mm. be going on. So if Cricket Some Australia whispers, is listening... Yeah. Can you please give Steve Smith whatever the fuck he needs? Because uh, the country <laughs> is not finished with him. But I did uh, look. No journalist seems to have followed that up. But uh, I, I, um, I was concerned, and I, I say it out of um, respect for Mark War's judgment and the places he traverses and doesn't, uh, because that's not the sort of shit Mark War says unless he has half a clue. Uh, so Ooh. I hope to see Steve Smith at the Oval is what I'm saying. God damn it. Fucking hell. Oh, my God. I mean, if, if, 
if he announces his retirement before the Ashes starters, England will have another open top bus parade. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That... Be going through fucking Leicester Square, just fucking shirts off. Flintoff, Flintoff's got himself on there. He's flogged again. Peter's got the, 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 the skunk haircut. He's, right. he's riding on top there as well. Yeah, they're yeah. going into 10 Downing Street with fucking Rishi in there for pissing behind his desk or something, which has got nothing to do with Steve Smith. It's just the, the, the bloke's a coat. So have you have you have you heard Smudge's Smudge's given it up? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the other test series which was going on at the same time: New Zealand and Sri Lanka in Christchurch. Now this game was a fucking unbelievable game. Twice in two matches in New Zealand, they've had absolute blinders. So Sri Lanka batted first. I mean, three hundred and fifty-five thanks to Kusal Mendes's eighty-seven. Tim Southey, obviously with the captain's armband these days, took five for sixty-four in the first innings. And then New Zealand made two uh, three hundred and seventy-three, a lead of what's that eighteen. So originally they were five for one fifty. They were then six for one eighty-eight. And at this time, it was thinking like, uh, well, obviously, we're watching the Australia-India game or the India-Australia game, rather. And we're thinking like, oh, well, all of a sudden, do, do India need to win this game? Because it was looking like Sri Lanka well in front. That was before Daryl Mitchell made 102 and Matt Henry made his highest test score of 72. So they got themselves actually 18 in front. Then Sri Lanka made 302, thanks to Angelo Matthews, 102. Now, that meant that New Zealand needed 285 to win. And I think they needed it uh, when they start batting. I think it was they started batting at the very end of day four. So it was basically one day to play, 285 to win. They eventually got it down eight down. Kane Williamson hit 121 red. Daryl Mitchell hit 81. So he had a fucking great game. Um, Daryl Mitchell now averages 59 in test cricket, by the way. He's played 17 tests. I think it's just under 1,300 test runs already so far. It's an amazing start to his career. Obviously, scored all those runs in England as well in that series. Um, anyway, so uh, let's just cut straight down to it, to the final over of day five. So the last over of day five, New Zealand was seven for 277. They needed eight to win from six balls, obviously, three wickets in hand. So the first ball went into single. So that made it seven off five. Then Matt Henry hits a single. So it was six off four. Williamson then hits the ball down the ground. They try for two and Matt Henry has run out. So they obviously get the single. So that's five off three. Neil Wagner comes in. Now, Wagner is injured. He had scans the night before. He's got a bulging disc in his back and a torn right hamstring. He's already been um, ruled out of the second test match. But he comes in as basically the runner <laughs> in this situation. So it's five off three. Then Kane hits a four. Now it's one off two. Unbelievable scenes here. Dot ball, the next ball. It's a bouncer to Kane Williamson. It's not called a wide. It's definitely a wide. And at that point... India now qualify for the World Test Championship final. Sri Lanka can't win because they need to take two wickets off one ball remaining. The last ball, one off one required. It's a bouncer. Kane goes for the hook. He misses. The keeper throws at the stumps. The players run. They take the single. Misses. The keeper misses the run out of Wagner, who dives into his crease. Asita Fernando, who's the bowler, he collects the ball mid-wicket. He turns, he throws and pings the ball at the bowler's end where Kane Williamson is diving into his crease. It goes upstairs. To the third umpire, he's in by about 10 centimetres and New Zealand win another unbelievably thrilling test match in Christchurch. Um, good for them. Um, I mean, I think they're fifth in the world, so it doesn't really bother us. But, um, <laughs> you know, the best, that's... <laughs> Fucking... Oh, we love test cricket so much. Let's spend half an hour talking about an absolute shit tip. Bordegavaska Trophy <laughs> Series. New Zealand win two, two of the greatest test matches of all time. Fucking good for them. 
skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you beat Sri Lanka at home. Well Fucking done, geez. boys. Yeah. Tonight, boys. Kane stuff again. Fucking Kane. Oh, I love God, it. Daryl Mitchell mate, and Wags. Wags turned mm. 37 yesterday, I think. Just herring up to the danger end with a bulging disc and a torn right hammy, just diving him, him diving his way into the crease. Oh. That's the shit. That's good gear. And then and uh, and, and Kane making his yeah, exa exactly. Uh, but I don't know what else to say other than just agreeing with you wholeheartedly. Fifth, good stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. What de you know? What I, what I want to ask is, what decks did New Zealand order in for the last two tests? Uh, it's, clear, yeah. it's clearly working for them as well. Is that all, yeah. all, all Test cricket should be played in New Zealand now? Oh, yeah. I, 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 in New, Ze I, New Zealand I, in March. Are we go? All oh, right, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was, oh, I, when does Australia next go to New Zealand for Test series? I just—it's such a rare thing, but I like the aesthetic a lot. It's a—it's yeah. a really good aesthetic for me. I—I I need to think about why. Uh, because my last memories of Australia going like 2016 and Josh Hazelwood asking who the fuck is the third umpire um, <laughs> and just generally looking cold and Australia is wearing sweaters, you know? Yeah, sweaters. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, no, good. It's mm. good. God, New Zealand punch, right? Like, above. They're so, yeah. they're so good like that. They're so good. And then they make friends with the opposition and then it gets weird. Uh, for me, mm. it's hard. To, it's difficult to understand. Uh, yeah. So, um yeah, no, well, well, well done, uh, the skeleton. <laughs> I think Kane, I think that was Kane Williamson's. I think it was his twenty sixth Test hundred. Um, fuck me, I've got so many stats wrong today. But you know, I'm doing my best over here. And and then Coley got his twenty eighth, mm. and Joe Root is on twenty nine Test hundred, and Steve Smith just recently got his thirtieth. Test hundred, so that's where that's where we're at in terms of the big four race. For I'm not sure what 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 the race is. I guess who who finishes with the highest number, I suppose. But you know, we're getting towards that the the end of that generation. I suppose Joe Root's probably got a few more years on the clock than those guys. I think. I mean, especially if you see um, talking about retiring, but um, yeah, it's it's so it's sort of towards the end of that era. Um, I guess they no one no one plays in a in a four in a in a quad series in a quad test series so it doesn't really matter but um oh. but uh, yeah I, I also I also don't really remember the last time I was, uh, Australia going to New Zealand I think about Michael Clark going home to break up with his fiance um I think about Josh Hayeswood saying who the fuck's the third umpire I think about sweaters I think about Mark War taking a really good catch at mid wicket um I think about Nathan Astle I think oh, about yeah. That's Craig McMillan yeah 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 Mm. I think about 1993 in New Zealand wearing like white helmets at home and the coverage being very sparse and, and hearing, yeah. you know, through like a, uh, you know, like, like a t tomato tin and string that Shane Warne was doing stuff <laughs> and not uh, being yeah. able to see it, you know, like, yeah. uh, ha you know, having to, to call up like a double O double five number on your landline to find out the scores, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's, what, I, yeah. that's what I think about. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's been quite a bit of talk recently in New Zealand about the, the drop off from the bowlers, um, particularly in terms of that bowling averages in this test cycle, this world test championship cycle compared to the last one where obviously they, they won the fucker. Um, 
And uh, yeah, then I suppose obviously Trent Bolt doesn't play Test cricket anymore. Colin DeGron home the same. Tim South he's a captain. You know, it's just um, it's all part of the conversation of where cricket's going and stuff. But in the meantime, you see, you're still right. I mean, they're they're still punching and they're still playing. So they've still got some great great players, and that's been brought, that's been uh, carried on. It seems with Darren Mitchell, who's started Test career has been absolutely incredible, F- averaging 59 after 17 Tests. It's it's fucking amazing numbers. Mm. He's scored hundreds home and away now as well. Um, and then obviously they've done this without Kyle Jamison, who hasn't played the last few series. Neil Wagner still going around at 37. Tim Southey's obviously got a great Test record. They're doing it um, with uh, with Bracewell as their spinner. Yeah, yeah. no um, Bolt as well. Yeah, no Bolt exactly. So. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think they're still good. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know when Australia go there. I don't think there's any plans for it in the short term um, unless it's a, uh, you know, a 37-game uh, white ball series. Um, yeah. Speaking of white ball cricket, should we talk about the WPL? Um, at the moment, most teams have played four games and then Delhi and RCB have played five games. The big news, though, top of the top of the. Uh, Top of the storyline here is it's uh, RCB have not won a single game. They are 0 from 5. Um, but the top three run scorers, Lopez, in the WPL, Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, Elisa Healy. Doesn't that make you feel unbelievably safe to see that Australians doing it overseas, especially in India? Um, in, the wicket, in the wickets column, though, probably somewhat more important. No, no Australians anywhere near uh, the, the leading wickets. Um, but the leading wicket taker is, I think it's Saker Ishak. Definitely said that wrong. Who's a who's a left arm orthodox spinner? Interestingly, Sophie Eccleston is second. Obviously, the England uh, left arm finger spinner. I'm not sure if there's any correlation with that, but just interesting that two leading wicket takers are left arm finger spinners. Anyway, so Saker is uh, she's from South Calcutta. She's played 19s and 23s for for Bengal. She's never played for India. Um, she had a shoulder injury in 2018. She's playing for Mumbai uh, and obviously dominating the tournament. I think she's got 14 wickets, and the next is like eight. Um, and uh, in the match against Delhi, she picked up. Lanning and Shafali Verma, I think, in the same over, and then picked up Jamama Rodriguez as well. She got a wicket in each over against Gujarat. Um, so she's uh, she's picking up big scalps. I think she picked up Sophie Devine in that game as well. Um, and you often, I feel like you often get these kind of stories in T20 leagues, but may, maybe not necessarily specifically the IPL. Though it's, you think you do get them in in domestic T20 leagues. You get these uh, you get these stories of players, both men and women, um, who aren't really anywhere near the international setup per se, but they, they either have like a great run, like a great run of form, or they have a terrific mm. season. I remember, for instance, just, just to uh, compare it to Australia, in the Big Bash, I remember like Craig Simmons hit 300s in a, in a BBL series, and he was, I, th- I mean, he did play Shield cricket for Western Australia, um, and also Gordon first grade. That's, m- that's more important, and he's a nice guy. Um, but, oh, um, how do you know? Oh, because, um, because we're, we're club mates, therefore I scored 300s in the Big Bash. <laughs> and he's a nice guy. Somebody ask me how yeah. I know that, please. <laughs> I'd say he's good on the beers. Oh, you you won't have a beer with Big Shipper. Oh, you won't have a beer with a ship. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, anyway, yeah, just it's interesting you get these you get these stories, don't you, from time to time about um, you know domestic players who, yeah, as I say, aren't, aren't particularly close to the international setup, but just have a great run of form. And maybe we're getting a similar thing here with with this story. But uh, given the the stars that are um, that are turned out for the WPL, it's um, it's uh, it's nice to see a, a domestic player like that who's had an injury and and just playing. Um, you know, for Bengal, for instance, and nowhere near the setup uh, is is doing so well so far. But uh, but yeah, so Mumbai are top of the table, eight points there, equal with Delhi, who have played one more game, and then UP Warriors women. Uh, I don't like how they spell Warriors. W-A-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R-R-I-R
Yeah, I mean, that, that's Elisa Healy's side. Uh, that's the side she's captain of. Then Gujarat are uh, a second. Uh, so they've scored two points. They're second last. And then RCB, that is Elise Perry's side, if you're just playing from the Australian perspective. Uh, Megan Schutt is there, also there. Um, they have not won a game. 0 from 5. So that's where we're at with the WPL. It's often hard to talk about... Um, you know, leagues when you're just doing it week to week, as we find with the Big Bash per se. But um, but that is that that is my update of the WPL. Have you have is you it, caught highlights? Are you catching glimpses? Have you seen some stuff? Oh, like colors, just a like, thorough, like something on the screens. Do I like colors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That which I those which I can see. Uh, <clears throat> no, that was a really that was a really thorough update, mate. I could just imagine people like walking, you know, getting their avocados at the supermarkets and um, or wherever else they're going, like sort of pushing their earphones into their ears, just, you know, yeah. desperate for that. Like, okay, where, where, where's Mumbai on the table? You know what and, I mean? And, warriors. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. And what are some, what are some of the, the peripheral stories of players not close to the international scene <laughs> uh, and how they're going? No, no, that was a really good update. I, I only brought three things. Um, the first one, yeah, like Healy, Healy made 96 not at one point. So she's got the highest score of the tournament. So that's safety. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the UP Warriors. Uh, so UP is reference to the state Uttar Pradesh. Uh, and Warriors is um, not spelt the way you conventionally spell Warriors. Instead of an S at the end, it's a Z, uh, UP Warriors. But as you look at it on screen, it looks like it's someone in capital saying up and then Warriors with a Z, yes. which is up Warriors. I don't know if yeah. the marketers kind of considered that that might be confusing with a 13-year-old on a message board who supports Auckland, uh, the Auckland Warriors in, 2000, <laughs> in, in, in 1995 when they came into the comp. Up the Warriors, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, that's a clinic of a joke there. But um, and then finally, yeah, like uh, it's still there's still a ways to go for the WPL. I I would like it to have been called the WIPL, to be honest. Uh, just to, yeah. but but maybe there was um legal issues with that because different franchises are involved with the, than with the IPL and you know trademark issues. People get confused for for, for different grounds that we're, we're particularly aware of, but um. Like when I type in WPL, he goes like, I type in WPL news, I get Woodside Petroleum um, ASX share price news. Uh, so and how's just that going? In, they up. Uh, Woodside, Woodside's going to be fine yeah. for a while. Um, there's still enough players <laughs> involved, I think, to keep them <laughs> ticking along. It's a, it's a big squad. Yeah. It's a I big think squad. they're ticking over. Okay, Woodside uh, <laughs> for now, but. Um, yeah, just if any of the WPL marketers uh, just want a little bit of feedback on the on the old SEO there, um, when I type in WPL news, I get Woodside Petroleum Limited um, ASX I, share price news. I had a news, very so. similar thought, mate. That it, it was actually it scares me a little bit in terms of um, just owning of the game because I like the, like the IPL is it still gives it enough distance for me because it's just it's the Indian Premier League, you know, it's it's the Indian Premier League. It's the Premier League that lives in India. The women's Premier League, it's like, okay, this is the Premier League for women. Well, it and is. We have the, mm. And we have the women's Big Bash League. Mm. So, you know, I'm not... And the women's Super Smash, if that's a thing in New Zealand. Mm. Um, so if I'm anything, sure it will go the other way, won't it? It will just be the men's Premier League. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, There's nothing that gets... Nothing that gets comments out there like, um, you know, those who for a while suggested the AFL should be called the AFLM. You know, just chucking yep. the M on the end there. That'll yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that uh that brings out a few that brings out a few <laughs> blokes from behind the trees. 
on the old comment section. <laughs> <laughs> that's always that's always a good one for a comment. Come, come out, come out the cave, and I'm doing yeah, just right. Yeah. Get the old, yes. the old digits out there with the Doritos <laughs> on your belly. <laughs> Right, someone said something on the internet that I don't like. Better lick the old fingers here and get the old type on the old typewriter. I go for the swans in the AFLM. <laughs> okay, let's talk about South Africa and West Indies. Okay. The two top line points here is that Maharaj ruptured his Achilles, celebrating a wicket in the second innings. That was painful to watch as someone who has ruptured his Achilles, and it's extremely painful. And the main point is Timber Bavuma, the captain now of South Africa, has broken his seven-year drought, and he scored his second Test match 100. Let me tell you what happened in the game, Pez. Uh, Sri Lanka batted, uh, sorry, South Africa batted first and scored 320. Aidan Markram again at the top, hit 96, almost went back to back. Uh, Tony DeZorzi hit 85. Um, and then the West Indies hit 251 in reply. Uh, and, then, and then in the third innings of the game, South Africa hit 321. Uh, but with Bavuma's 172. The next highest score was Van Mulder, who hit 42. So it was a one-man show there from Bavuma. Incredible innings. He was eventually out by Holder. Um, and so uh, West Indies needed 391 to win, uh, which they were bowled out for 106. And it was when, I think it was when Maharaj, was it Maharaj? Yeah, when Maharaj picked up, uh, I think it was Jermaine Blackwood and made it five for 26. Then that was six for... Then that was six for thirty-four. It actually, might have been. It might have been the. It was might have been Kyle Myers. Went so they went for an LBW review. It was given out on the field, and so they're all standing around the huddle. And then the ball crashes into the front dog, and uh, Kyle Myers is out making a six for thirty-four. Maharaj goes to like set off away from the huddled group. At which point, his planted leg uh, then explodes onto the field, uh, and he ruptures his Achilles. So um, pretty grim scenes all around. But that means it's uh, South Africa win that series. 2-0, they end up winning the game by 284 runs, so pretty comprehensive stuff. Uh, and yeah, last week I said that the West Indies hadn't won a test series for 20 years um, away from home. That was um, that was wrong and dumb because it's nearly 30 years um, since they've won in the away test series. So that's um, that's pretty grim all around. But, um, but for South Africa, uh, good good times. Apart from Maharaj, who's ruptured his Achilles, but Timber Bavuma hitting 172. Uh, it's two test hundreds now. Um, first one in seven years. I've just got his stats here. What is the average in test cricket? The average is 35 in test cricket. He's got 50. Sorry, he's got 20 50s. 20 50s. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, to still average 35 and 200s. So, uh, you know, maybe a new dawn for South Africa. Uh, I like Bavuma. He's, he's saying, he, he think he leads the side well. He's obviously thrown to the deep end. I, I still think about that time when Quinton de Kock left the side in the UAE T20 World Cup and there was a whole um, taking the knee situation and he was thrown, threw, thrown to the deep and he was captain the side. He had to speak about that. Um, he strikes me as a, as a good person and a good leader and um, if he's scoring runs, maybe he's a better player captaining. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. One of those two things. Thoughts? Yeah, no. It, it, um, a new dawn for South Africa. When do they play the next test? How many, how many are they playing in the next five years? Well, uh, do, I do saw a friend of the show... I saw, sorry, Pez, I saw, I saw a friend of the show, Ali Martin, tweet the other day because South Africa released their contracted players risk for Red Bull cricket and Ali Martin said in this time that the contracted period is for, they play four test matches. So pretty good stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for them that they got a win in a song, you know, <laughs> True, truly. It's, a, yeah. it's a, that's a sad state of affairs and uh, and that's before you even get to the West Indies. But, um, I'm, you know, yeah. these are all like, yeah, some of these things are all going to be things that we 
we miss into the future, you know, as we're discussing uh, w- w- whether the players can carve CA out of um, the the um, <laughs> the pie in a private equity dispute uh, and mm. and and play T Twenty cricket accordingly, yeah. and um, and all these memories of like a of a flat one at Emdabad and South Africa playing the Windies will be things that we tell our children about. <laughs> um, yeah. Come and yeah. sit on my lap, Johnny, and then and they'll be like, please don't. <laughs> Please don't do that, Dad. Anymore, uh, you've actually been you've actually been required to do that by the authorities. Anyway, um, um so yeah, it's. Uh, and I'm not your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, no, I'm happy. I'm happy for Bavuma there. It's just really, it's really difficult to to uh, reflect on it, like uh, w- yeah. with any kind of context or or future. Four, four, four tests in a contracted period. You know that's that's just where it's all going. Um, we're available for sponsorship for T Twenty um, series coming up as well. We'll be covering the shit out of that. Can't wait. <laughs> Let's talk quickly about the Sheffield Shield, Pez. The last round of fixtures starts today. In fact, Tasmania, Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia are all playing right now as we speak on Tuesday morning. Um, and uh, But the big news, uh, Western Australia are playing against Victoria. The big news, though, of the week is that uh, Sean Marsh has retired from first-class cricket. He has played 22 years for Western Australia, 22 years of Shield cricket. He played 38 test matches. Um, he is a guy who is just consistently and relentlessly in the leading run scorers for the Sheffield Shield. Basically, every year he's been in the competition. He obviously had a really long run into the Test side, um, and you know, there's there's probably criticisms about that and, and whatever. He was just one of those guys who perhaps never quite was able to to to, to make it. Though he played 38 Test matches, that's fucking heaps. Um, he scored hundreds in the side as well. Um, he did heaps of good shit, but. Um, but uh, no, probably no need to denigrate um, or criticise perhaps his test career or shortcomings there when the guy has just been one of Australia's greatest ever domestic players, 22 years of Shield cricket. And anyway, he's retiring now. So that's a big hole for Western Australia who are just about at the moment winning fucking everything. Yeah, and uh, you could see it was it was really uh, heartwarming you know, to watch his retirement and the uh, the way he spoke about his career and then the reaction from a lot of his teammates and those who he's obviously come into contact with those he's played with and against. Uh, he's obviously, he's just a guy who's held in, you know, enormous regard. Uh, he strikes me. Uh, we've only done one or two things with him in the past, but he just seems to be universally respected. It's easy to speak really uh, um, glowingly about people upon their retirement. Uh, but re- genuinely he seems to be really liked uh, along, you know, with his brother as well in cricket and, so he takes a lot of he seems to take a lot of respect and a lot of friends away from the game as well and i think a lot of that respect comes from people people have genuine respect for him as a player uh mm. like not not just what he's achieved in domestic cricket and there were 38 test caps nothing to sneeze at as well uh but just the the actual ability of the bloke now it, it mm. probably the international record doesn't reflect, I think, what a lot of people in cricket saw as his world-class ability, yep. uh, and that's just his. That that's just the way things work out in sports sometimes. But uh, it, he really was world-class as a as a player. Uh, the fact that he's yeah. still going to be able to knock around in the BBL, I think, mm. at forty <laughs> as a bat, uh, go, mm. goes to show how talented he has been as a cricketer. So, yep. uh, and so to have that, and to have the 
the respect and, and love from all of his mates. I mean, it, you can't ask for much more, you know, to, to go all the way and to, to match it with, you know, 30 test tons and all that kind of thing. That's just that mm. every single star needs to line up for that. But I think he can be very proud of his career and he just he just seems like a really, really um, great bloke, you know, a guy who's lovely yeah. but also prob- probably probably knows his way around a circuit as well or has in the past, you know. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I think he's that, done it that's all. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so he'll turn 40 in July. Just looking at his numbers here, six six test hundreds. He averaged 34 in test cricket, 2,265 test runs. He scored seven ODI hundreds. Um, I, I had just, I had not clocked that. It's got seven ODI hundreds. Um, his average though in first class cricket is, uh, what's his average in first class cricket? It is 41. Mm. 41 in first class cricket with 32 hundreds. Um, he, you know, he played for Australia, Glamorgan. He played in the IPL for Kings Eleven, Punjab, Renegades, Perth Scorchers, and obviously Western Australia. Those were his teams. I mean, it's um, it's I, I agree with you. I think there's like there's from like the age of seventeen or nine. I think he scored his first first hundred at nineteen uh, for Western Australia. And I think ever since then it was like, oh, Australia's got a world class player here. And I think you're entirely right. Like when you when you watch it gel, fuck, it was good looking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, sometimes it's one of these guys. It's um. You know, see, like 30, 34, averaging 34 in test cricket is just not a disaster, you know, like I just, but it's a disaster in the sense of what I think people's aspirations and hopes for were, I think, I mean, I think you nailed it and I'm just sort of um, just changing the words around a bit to, to suit my ear um, and make me feel good. Um, anyway, so he's retired uh, and the last game, as I said before, the last game of the Shield season starts today and New South Wales have not won a game, so they'll be trying to avoid... Um, they're trying to avoid having a, a winless season. They're playing in South Australia in Adelaide, I think it is at the moment. Um, but uh, and they've actually dropped Curtis Patterson, who was the captain of the side. So it's all going pretty well uh, for New South Wales in a, in a really, really good and impressive season. Um, I suppose as well, we should say just I mentioned before, Pez, about um, Western Australia winning fucking everything. Obviously, the Scorchies, uh, the the Perth Orange team did a really good thing. And um, the Western Australian side have just won the Marsh Cup. They um, fucking dominated South Australia in the final that was held at the Wacker as well. I like seeing cricket at the Wacker again now. It's probably a little, little bit of nostalgia for me, but I just like seeing cricket played at the Wacker. Um, and Inglis scored a imperious 170, I think it was. I think Bancroft got 96 as well. One, right. Um, and uh, and um, South Australia forgot how to catch. Um, that was fairly critical, but the National Agar uh, took five for as well in the uh, in the in the bowling innings. So um, the best team has most definitely won that competition. Um, and you look at the names on the team sheet; it's like it's Ashton Turner, it's Ashton Agar, it's Stoinis, it's Inglis. Um, uh, name other international players that are missing there. There's fucking heaps of them. Um, it's it's actually it's actually a pretty decent international side, which I think I think I actually read someone saying that. Maybe one of the players saying that after the. Uh, after the game, which makes you feel, that must feel amazing to win something and be like, we'd actually be a decent international side. Um, so the beers must have been absolutely flying around the Wacker sheds. <laughs> and I feel like the Wacker boys like would know how to, to, to get a beer to fly around the sheds as well. No, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I like WA doing well in cricket. I don't know. There's a safety too. I don't know if it's a New South Wales thing from like being a kid. They always had a good side yeah. too. Just that they're, they're, they're big. You're across the nullarbor there. Hue of the light stuff, yeah. muscles, Cam Green, it's a, everyone's big and um, yeah. oppositional to other states. It's it's fine by me. Uh, I wonder. I mean, Josh Josh Inglis is flying at the moment. I mean, there's a couple of keepers flying, like Jimmy Pearson is as well. Jimmy Said it a few Pearson, times, yeah. but Josh Inglis, he, he, you know, I think there's a question about whether he uh, 
in the way England does it, like he can exist as a bat in his own right. Uh, he um, won 30 here in the final. He's over in India now with the ODI side. Uh, being, yeah. I'm sure he's just a reserve keeper. I mean, Alex Carey's very firmly set in that ODI side, but uh, does, can, he play, can he play as a stick to? I mean, England don't have a problem with those things and they're the best uh, white ball side in the world as well. I'm just, just keeping an eye on that because he's um, – you know, Josh Inglis's time is now. You know, like he—he's he, a gun. Uh, I think he's—I think he's good. He's good for international cricket, as in he's—he's he's ready. Here's something, so. here's something for you, Pez. Um, I'm—I'm I'm dropping Dave Warner from the from the Ashes lineup. Stay with me here. Now we saw what Travis Head did in India. I think he answered a few questions about his ability to play spin uh, with a, with a very impressive 49 in the fourth innings and in indoor. Mm. Then obviously scored 90 here on a flat mm. line, but still. Just the way he went about it, it was very aggressive. It reminded me of a younger David Warner. Dave Warner sort of changed into a, um, a li- little bit more of a circumspect player. Than maybe circumspect mm. is, is, or cautious is too strong a term. Um, but um, uh, Travis said to open the batting, get someone like Inglis. You know, to, to sort of match the baseball style of cricket, which we've seen. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying. I think like there was... I think one of the, one of the maybe Andrew McDonald said like we have not thought in any way about um, Travis Head opening the batting. Then next Test match he opens the batting. I just wonder like if they've just sort of unlocked something there because obviously Travis Head has opened the batting in ODI cricket it's very successfully for Australia in recent times. Um, if there's if they've unlocked something and there's a new way to um, to try and match England in that respect, or I'm not I'm not even sure if they Australia will try and do that. But um, but yeah, I like where you're going with it. Just get guys who are scoring bulk runs, they score them quickly. Uh, to put a bit of pressure back on England's bowls. All I'm saying is the next series is more important. <laughs> yeah, I just think Australia's got some change coming up with the bat. You know, They've got three or four guys in there who are going to retire in the next year or two. And I don't think Josh Inglis should be forgotten on account of the fact that he wears the gloves. Uh, even if it's just in white ball cricket for now. But he, he seems to be absolutely smoking them. He's leading that WA side from a run's perspective, I think, ac- across the formats yeah. if, if you sort of take it as a collective. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I rate it. I'm just looking at Western Australia's team. They had Philippe, Josh Inglis, Cameron Bancroft, Mitchell Marsh, Stoinis, Ashton Turner, Aaron Hardy, Ashton Agar, Jason Beridorf, Matthew Tell- uh, Matthew Kelly, and Andrew Ty. So there's like there's actually <laughs> there's actually a huge number of hmm. captains nationals in, in red and white ball cricket. Yeah, it's Australia too. Okay. Yeah, it fucking makes me feel good. I also like the yellow. I like the yellow and the black. Mm. Um, and indeed Kodak black. Um, okay, uh, should we get into hashtag RCGC Pest to yeah. wrap up this here show? Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Anon wrote in, boys, please keep anonymous. I write to you with a tale of an eventful Saturday that dates back to the summer of 2020. Due to the coronavirus outbreak, my girlfriend and I had been forced to cancel our travel plans, which meant we had to move from London back to my parents' house in Gloucestershire countryside. While this was less than ideal, one of the main upsides was that I had started netting at our local village club with some old friends. For the sake of anonymity, let's call them... Roger Fairbody and the Snake. Okay. Roger Fairbody and the Snake, all right? Anon mm, is having okay. a net Love with Roger band. Fairbody and the Snake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think mm. I saw them play an acoustic set once. Mm. I hadn't played much cricket while living in London, mainly Last Man Stands games, LMS games, and the odd Saturday games, so I was enjoying the regular net sessions. We had sure our net sessions were not on the same day as the club's training, so we could sink four to six beers each, smoke joints openly, and blast music from the portable speaker. Hearing Biggie Smalls declare, I love it when you call me Big Papa, after blasting Fairbody 
body back to the bowler's end of the net was a, was a Wednesday night worth living. After a few weeks of net sessions, Fairbody, being a local celebrity in the village, spoke to the second team captain of the club and managed to get us all into the team for the upcoming Saturday. Glorious, we thought. Just what we've been working towards. Game day finally arrived and we're playing away, about a 45-minute drive to the opposition ground. Fairbody is driving with the snake and I was excited and I and I as the excited passengers. I'm sat in the back of Fairbody's company car along with an assortment of discarded beer cans, coffee cups, sweet wrappers, damp smelling clothing, a seven iron and a duvet. What a maverick, I thought. Hmm. About halfway into the journey, Fairbody's paw reaches back between the seats clutching some unwrapped foil. Weed brownie, he asks. As much as I had enjoyed this batch of homemade weed brownies, I decided to pass ahead of the match, as did the snake. Fairbody gobbles one down and we arrive at the ground 20 minutes later. The ground is a typical English village ground, tiny boundaries with sheep and other livestock on the other side of meagre fences and a small wooden pavilion in the corner. The skipper loses the toss and we're bowling first. Fairbody has the new ball. After a good start, the batsman chips the last ball the first over at a catchable height back past Fairbody. He moves in slow motion to try and catch it after the ball is already a few metres past him. What the fuck happened there, mate? Why didn't you catch it? I ask him. After the over, I can't see shit. That <coughs> weed brownie just kicked in. <laughs> Fairbody replies. This was a good indication of how the day would pan out. The, oppo- the opposition ended up scoring just over 300 from 50 overs. The run chase didn't get off to a great start and we lose a few early wickets, which brings myself and Fairbody to the crease. Our partnership surpasses 50 runs, at which point I middle a cover drive and call Fairbody through for a single. The fielder swoops in and fires it to the keeper. Sorry, mate, I say to Fairbody as we pass each other mid-single, and he is easily run out. He looks at me and shakes his head, then trudges off. I felt awful. Anyway, I just miss out on a ton, 76, and we end up all out for around 200 and easily lose the game. The beauty of this being second-team wheelie bin village cricket is that nobody gives a fuck about the result, and after enjoying a few beers with the opposition, we head back to the local pub in our home village to carry on uh, the evening. Several pints later, the local pub closes, so we head to the late-night venue in the village, a dingy pub that is open until midnight. The pub is busy, and there is a lively atmosphere. My shout, I say to the boys as we enter, and I head to the bar to get the beers in. Whilst waiting patiently at the bar, I suddenly feel a big sausage finger in the corner of my mouth fish-hooking me. <laughs> I, t- I turn around to see Fairbody pissing himself laughing, at which point I start to notice an unmistakable tangy taste in my mouth. Was that MDMA? I ask Fairbody. He nods his head in confirmation. Just a little bit of Mandy for you, mate. He says with an evil grin on his face. (laughs) I didn't mind the occasional visit from the elusive mistress, but after 10 plus pints, I blacked out about 15 minutes later. (laughs) The the next thing I remember is staring at myself in the bathroom mirror. Where the fuck am I, I think to myself. And then I recognise the bathroom and realise I'm at the snake's house. (laughs) Suddenly I'm desperate for a shit. A delayed delayed come-up shit due to the blackout period. I look around desperately, but there is no toilet in sight. This is coming coming whether I like it or not. So I pull my pants down and defecate straight into the bath. As as I'm sat on the edge of the bathtub, trousers around my ankles, I remember the snake's toilet is in a separate room next to the bathroom. I clean myself up and try to use the shower to wash away the mess I've made. (laughs) After a few minutes, I go to turn the shower off, but I've I've completely forgotten how I turned it on. 
For the life of me, I can't figure out how to turn this fucking shower off. My mind is blanked. I'm fucked both physically and mentally at this point. The bath is filling up more and more and the realisation that it will overflow with my, and my shit will start spreading all over the bathroom floor hits me. In a state of panic, I decide to scoop the lumps of shit out of the bath and drop them into the toilet next door. <laughs> my first attempt could have been more successful. I barge into a dark room, both my hands cupping a Cleveland steamer. <laughs> Hello, I hear a female voice say. Fuck, I've barged into the snake's mum's room, cupping my own shit. <laughs> yes, that's right. Mama Snake had been in her pit the whole time. I'd been shitting in her bath. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she noticed the next time she went for a relaxing candlelit bubble bath. I guess we will never know. I quickly retreat and drop the first load into the toilet across the hall. I repeat the process until all feces have been disposed of, at which point I finally figure out how to turn the shower off. The next morning, I tell Fairbody and the snake what, it, what has happened, much to their amusement. Surprisingly, they have little sympathy for, living, for the living nightmare I went through. The snake's mum then enters the room, looks at me and says... You came into my room with such bravado last night. I don't think she realised I was carrying a handful of my own shit at the time. So here are my questions. No need to answer them if you don't want to. I just feel like I needed to share that story. Do you think Fairbody was justified in fish-hooking me with MDMA because I ran him out earlier that day? Do you think all errors made on a cricket field should be avenged with harsh justice of it? Should I try and channel the bravado I was showing on that fateful evening next time I play an intense village second eleven game? Am I the only person who thinks it's fucked up to have a bathroom with a toilet in, without a, without a toilet in it? Keep up the good work uh, with the pod boys. Cheers, Anon. <clears throat> Fantastic. Uh, what do you want to do with that? Uh, there's, I don't think there's much to do with it, uh, but the, look, the, the nexus of drugs and cricket is an interesting one. You know, like when we played, marijuana was not something that really went with cricket. You know, like cricket was all about uppers. Cricket, cricket's pingers and coke, uh, and yeah, that that kind of. I mean, and even back then, like you, you're in your early twenties, so coke's not that accessible from a financial standpoint. So it was a real, it was a real pingers game, um, to my memory, back in the day. Uh, it was a game. It was a game of pingers. Twenty bucks. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Twenty bucks, thirty bucks, twenty bucks. That was good. Uh, so, oh, my, I think my children are coming home, so I should stop talking about drugs. But um, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, I, I always, I was always too paranoid to mix the two. Even like drinking before games and stuff like that. No problem drinking and whatever else afterwards. But never, yeah, never yeah. did that. Like the only, the only nexus I had was like I remember um, after a PGs game once, like under twenty ones. Uh, my mate who's a musician and um, musical theatre like uh, performer asked me for his birthday to um, audition with him for Greece, which he wanted to be in. Uh, and um, for, for his birthday present, he wanted to watch me audition for Greece after a game of cricket, uh, which was just incidental. So he came and picked me up. I, we lost that game. I had sunburn already. A uh, really bad sunburn and something in my eye from from the cricket, and then on the way up to I was twenty at the time, maybe nineteen. Now it's twenty, and on the way up to the um, performance space, which he said was just a community thing, um, we got high, uh, which is bad. You know that like it, it, it was bad, but we 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 there was a joint involved, and then I just got really paranoid. He was he loved it, but I had to um I just it, it turned out it was Sydney Youth Musical Theatre and uh. 
and they all knew him, so he was fine. But I had to go and um, audition in front of three people sitting at a table, Australian Idol judge style, um, with like sticky tape on the floor and stuff. And I walked in, and there was um, there was someone on a piano, and they, and they said, "What will you be performing today?" And I said, "I'll be performing your Nobody to Somebody Loves You" by Dean Martin, <laughs> just not on the list. <laughs> And there was a camera there, like, uh, and and the man on the piano said, "Would you like accompaniment?" I said, "No, a cappella." <laughs> <laughs> and I started clicking, <laughs> "You're nobody." <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I I I got a part, and um, and my mate got that. Uh, video and and played it at my twenty first as well and but and he wanted to get stoned before every performance we did but I couldn't do it I because it was just made me too paranoid to do um, so I commend these guys for taking drugs and playing cricket I think um, yeah. Fairbody is um, one of the great men I think to run him out only for him to like fish hook you some MDA MDMA <laughs> later on shows what a wonderful person he is and uh, I think play on for everything that happened in that i think um i i really like the description of his car um where there's just a just yeah. a, this like this mismatch mm. eclectic like a seven iron a duvet uh coffee cups you mm. know like sweets unwrapped like yeah. wrapped like, yeah, sweet <laughs> yeah. wrappings on the floor yeah cutting a bit of garden hose um gatorade <laughs> bottles with holes in the sides of them um mm. just that mm. sort of eclectic mix of uh, paraphernalia in someone's car or something very relatable diving a cricket anyway thank you very much anon for that story thank you very much for everyone listening in to tune to this show we'll catch you guys on patreon uh later on this week and if you want if you want to keep supporting tgc or indeed support tgc in any way you choose patreon is a go is the go for that so thank you very much we'll see you coach on the internet next time cheers